If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. After the Apocalypse, a pandemic survival story. Season 3, Episode 17. Rind. Mag stood on the porch of a two-story house on a small rise. It wasn't her house, but it was somehow familiar. The air was heavy with moisture. The atmosphere had the oppressive weight it gets just before a storm, as if ripe fruit is about to burst. A smooth, blue-green lawn sloped away to the tree line. There was a white plank fence around the periphery, which reminded her of horse farms in Kentucky. The leaves in the trees rustled with the leavening wind. Black and violent clouds rapidly approached. Blue-gray mountains trooped long and low across the horizon. She could see them through the gap beneath the clouds as the dark ceiling roiled across the panorama from the southwest. Lightning shot forked flashes in the cumulus like angry gods trying to escape their cloud cages. Two long funnel clouds hung down like ravenous jellyfish tentacles. They were moving towards her, pulling destruction in their wake, Mag saw the tornadoes coming and watched with fascination. They were still miles away, and their progress seemed comically slow as they slid up the valley towards where she stood. The edge of the storm buffeted the trees now. Leaves and small branches tore free and flew with each new blow. Mags pulled her sweater closer around her shoulders. Her temples ached with small pains as she felt the barometric pressure drop precipitously. One of the twisters veered in her direction. She heard the freight train roar of its progress and began to see details of objects being ripped and thrown from the ground as it chewed its way along. Her fascination turned to apprehension. She saw that the funnel was heading right towards her, as if it had seen her and was seeking her out. She backed into the house and closed the door. She continued to watch over the porch through the front windows. Squalls of rain hammered. In the distance, the great beast tore a strip through the trees and fences like some mythical thing bent on destruction. Its awful weight bore straight towards the house. The great locomotive roar of it filled the air. Branches and clods of dirt banged into the house and bounced off the roof. It was an overwhelming, mindless force that would not listen to reason, 
that did not care about her fear, that would not stop until everything in its path was destroyed. Then it was upon her. The front windows imploded and sent jetting shards of angry glass and wood that bit into her body as she backed up to the shelter of a wall. She covered her head with her arms and fell to the carpet as a storm-driven wreckage battered. A curtain that had been torn from the shattered window danced around the room in a frenzied swirl like a banshee and finally wrapped around her head and face, choking her. She woke coughing blood, pulling at sweat-stained sheets. She was relieved to find herself on the battered couch in her cluttered office. Her head ached, and her thoughts were thick and slow and clouded. Adrenaline from the nightmare pulsed through her sleep-deprived brain. There was a tang of iron and bitterness in the back of her throat. She looked around for a drink of water to help clear her head. Mags rolled to a sitting position and grimaced from the sharpness of her unmended injuries. Sunlight slanted through an open door. She heaved herself up, pausing to let the pain and dizziness settle, leaning on the couch arm for a moment. She made her way to the door. She had work to do. Harlan and the king relaxed at a conference room table. The room was longer than it was wide. The table running down the middle was configured by shoving six smaller tables together into an elongated rectangle. A projector hung from the ceiling. A pull-down projector screen was built into the far wall. Whiteboards covered the two walls on the sides of the room. On the back wall was a long cabinet for supplies and coffee service. It was an intentional modular design that allowed the room to be repurposed, the tables could be pushed to the side and rows of chairs brought in for presentations. The resort had a few of these breakout rooms for local businesses that had been designed to host their outings before the apocalypse. Financial planners hawking their services, real estate hustlers selling get-rich-quick schemes, the local Toastmasters Club... They all trooped through these rooms, these awful, generic, horrendously nondescript conference rooms with their banal recessed lighting and beige, stain-resistant carpet where striving employees' dreams went to die, drowning in the tidal surge of mediocrity. If you squinted hard enough, you could see the scenes. The CEO and owner of the local widget company laying out the budget plans for the following fiscal year, handing out awards to the high performers. The not-too-bright son of the aging CEO's second trophy wife affably accepting his promotion to vice president of sales, the tenured managers in the room pretending he deserved it with their congratulations, just hoping to make it to retirements and pensions before the company imploded from the weight of generational nepotism. 
Then the CEO would be pulled out of the meeting by a critical customer problem that might just be a smokescreen for some personal drama. Then they would play 18 holes of golf in the afternoon, followed by drinks at the bar, and the unstoppable economics of social capitalism would grind on like the passing of storms or cycling of the tides. As the dark ghost of these previous guests faded, Harlan and the king sat, engrossed in setting their own budget for the attack on the D.C. They were considering a rough map of the D.C. that Harlan had sketched on the whiteboard from memory. This is the only access road into the complex, Harlan pointed, but the place is huge, probably fifty of these big warehouses, each one of them surrounded by fences and big parking lots for truck and trailer parking. The king said, there's no way they can protect an area that big. You're right, Harlan replied. They've fortified the admin area with a defensive wall, but the rest of it is open. The challenge is the single point of access for vehicles, the king said as if thinking out loud. When we went in, we surprised them with a dash up that road, but you can bet they'll be defending that now. They'll be expecting us to come in that way for sure, the king agreed, taking a sip of whiskey from his glass. What do you think, then? Harlan asked, leaning back in his chair and pondering the whiteboard. I think we send a fake straight down that road to draw their attention, and then we get in behind them with a real army. You mean like auxiliaries? Harlan asked. Look at you with the big words, the king mocked. Yeah, some of the stragglers we picked up. You know, old people, women, other useless shits. We give them some pitchforks and send them straight down that road towards the front gate. He grinned at Harlan while the people in that fort are trying to figure out what to do, we'll sneak through the woods and have Adam from the other side. Even if we can't crack the admin area right off the bat, we'll be able to get the loot in the other building. Worst case, we can surround them and starve them out. The king liked this idea of his. He knew his men were restless from sitting too long, and he needed to give them a win. His position as leader depended on what he could do for them. He knew that if he was going to stay in power, if he was going to expand his reach, he would need a standing army of committed followers. He needed men who would fight for him. There was still a risk to this attack, but it could be overcome. He had been trying to come up with a plan that didn't involve too many casualties, but still gave his men some reward. Failure wasn't an option. 
failure on his part could be seen as weakness, weakness, or even just the perception of weakness, the faintest sniff of weakness, was something he could not afford. There was a lot riding on a successful outcome. This action would be a test. They hadn't confronted an organized force yet. He had the men. He had the guns. But could they fight? Would they fight even when the other side fought back? The king looked across the conference room at Harlan, took a big pull from his cigar, and blew a cloud of pungent blue smoke towards the ceiling. You know, Hoss, if we do this right, we might not have to fight them at all. Jeez, Mags, you look like hell, Michael said as she dropped down into the chair opposite him in the cafeteria. Maybe you should go back to bed. Mag sighed, shook her head, and answered testily. Mike, give it a rest. We've been over this ground already. You're starting to sound like a broken record. I'm fine. I just haven't been sleeping well. I'll be fine. We've got bigger fish to fry. Pardon me for being concerned for your health. Michael shot back. You're no good to us dead. Fine. Concern noted. Where are we with the defenses? Has anyone heard from Willie? Catch me up. Not a lot has changed in the three hours of rest you took, Michael said with a hint of sarcasm. Mag scowled at him. Okay, okay. Michael put his hands up and continued. We're moving as fast as we can. I sent a squad with some fast motorcycles to keep watch on the river crossing. That should give us some warning when the king makes his move. He added, I also told them to drop some trees or put vehicles in the roads to slow them down where they could. He continued, I had the guys string razor wire and build some barriers across the access road. It's not much. I wish we had a bulldozer to make some ditches, but they felled some trees, too. It'll slow them down and break up any formation. Give us a chance to pick them off. Then he concluded, But we still don't have enough people, enough guns, enough ammo, or, hell, even the experience to do the kind of job we need to do here. He paused and took on a serious tone. Maybe we should pack up and make a run for it. Not going to happen, Mike, Mag said tiredly. This is where we make our stand. Conceding territory never made a bully back down. We're going to have to fight eventually. We make our stand here and we make them pay dearly. She looked down and gripped the edge of the table with her hand as a dizzy spell followed by a wave of nausea passed. That's the only way we stop this. Mags was not backing down on this point. She was convinced that this was a battle that had to be fought. It was bigger than the king. It was bigger than her. This was a war, a war of good versus evil that was being played out as survivors emerged from the chaos of the apocalypse. Let them come, she said grimly. She could sense that across the nation, even the world, Similar fights must be playing out, fights between 
petty wannabe warlords like the king and decent, good, honest people like the D.C. And she would be damned if she would let the tide turn in the favor of evil on her watch. It may only seem like a skirmish to some of them, but she felt in her bones that with each skirmish, each battle, each war, the fate of the new world was at stake, and she felt it with a religious certainty. She would not let evil win. No, they would not run. They would fight, and by fighting, they would push back against the darkness." Back in the warehouse manager's office, Mags and Michael did not need to draw a map from memory. They had the full set of drawings that laid out the configuration of the D.C. complex and a USGS topographical map of the surrounding area. Mags scrutinized the maps as Michael shifted from foot to foot uneasily. He could see she was shaky. Her face was gray and ashen and drained of vitality. Her hand shook with a weak, palsy tremor as she pointed with a pencil. Mike, she said, listen closely and make sure you get this right. She pointed at spots on the map, making small circles in pencil. I want you to drop shipping containers here, here, and here, and then put firing positions here and here. Dig them in so they're concealed. Michael shrugged. He didn't know if he could trust her anymore. For all he knew, she was hallucinating from her injuries. He didn't even know how she was still conscious at this point, but she was still in command. He pushed back slightly. That's going to pull resources away from the work we're doing around the admin building. He paused. Are you sure? Aren't we spreading ourselves too thin? Mag smiled a wan smile intended to boost his confidence. Trust me, Mike, this is important. She paused again to reinforce her seriousness. Stay with me, Mike. I need you with me. One hundred percent. Michael sighed the stress out of his body like a deflating balloon. I'm with you, Mags. All the way. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. All righty then, my apocalypse survivor friends. How are we doing on this fine day? I am doing well. Can't complain. For those of you time traveling through the Podosphere alternate universe, it is April 2023. And here in New England, where I live, the world has shrugged off its cloak of wintry sparseness. The ground is bursting forth with fecundity, and we all climb blinking from our holes to gaze in wonder at the warm sun. We are coming to the end of Season 3. This is Episode 17. If you are just catching up, I do my best to drop an episode every two weeks. Things tend to get a bit more frantic towards the end of the season as we try to tie up plot lines and such. Uh, life gets in the way one too many times and I start falling behind on my production deliverables. Luckily, my editors and my lovely voice actor, professional Robert, they are flexible and they put up with my last-minute antics. It's, you know, it's really just math. Have you ever been a project manager? If you look across the lifetime of any project, the probability of lateness tends to stack, while the probability of earliness is constrained, i.e., you can only be so early, but you can be infinitely late. So explain that to your boss and see what happens. I have finished two books since we last talked. The first one was a science fiction book called Futuristic Violence, and Fancy Suits by David Wong from 2015. David Wong is the pen name for Jason Pargan. Mr. Pargan is a prolific writer who was the executive editor of Cracked.com, and you might know him from his 2007 novel, John Dies in the End, that was made into a movie starring Paul Giamatti. And the best way I can describe this style is as a mashup of offbeat humor with other genres. And it's a specific type of humor, sort of an absurdist slacker humor. So, for instance, in John Dies at the End, it's a mashup of this humor with the horror paranormal genre. And in Fancy Suits, it's a mashup with a kind of cyberpunk universe. So if you go into Suits with the idea that it's a cyberpunk novel, you might be disappointed by the, the thick layer of absurdity you have to wade through to get to the plot. Uh, and likewise, if you're looking for a humor novel, you might be off-put by all the cyberpunk and violence and, and stuff. And that's the way it is with crossovers and mashups. You either hit a home run, like John dies at the end, or you strike out by missing the mark and two demographics at the same time get mad at you. So Mr. Wong or Mr. Pargan, his comic timing is great, and he's good at his craft. The main character is well-defined, and I appreciate the hero's journey aspect. It's, uh, yeah, it's quite good, the schlocky female character. The rest of the characters, especially the villain, are sort of cardboard cutout caricatures. 
and I got a bit tired with it in the last third of the book. It just it wasn't wasn't pulling me along as much as it probably should have. But anyhow, I give it a strong B. I'd recommend it as a book to read on vacation when you're lying in a hammock in the sun with a hangover and don't want to work too much. And speaking of hangovers, I also continued my Ernest Hemingway journey by reading The Sun Also Rises. Now, I'm going to say right up front that I really don't have the bona fides to write a review of a Hemingway novel, but I'll give you some of my impressions. This was Hemingway's first novel. It was published in 1926, and Hemingway did become the famous Hemingway that we all picture, but he really didn't become that famous Hemingway until the 1950s. That was when The Old Man in the Sea came out. That was 30 years later. And like most first novels, we see in this all of the things that Hemingway would become famous for. The life of expatriate writers in Paris, the revivifying influence of trout fishing, and of course, the bullfighting. And throughout this journey of this novel, there is this unvoiced conversation with the reader about the definition of masculinity. What is masculinity? And yes, there is that sparse, clean, powerful prose that became the revolutionary Hemingway hallmark. And it's not just the short sentences and the plain words. It's the power of what is left unsaid. It is the embellishment of sentences to depict the passage of time or emotion without overt exposition. It is very powerful prose. It is, it's, it's the power of a moment of silence where there is no wasted ink. And unlike fancy suits, you uh, probably need to be sober and aware to read Hemingway. It takes consideration and a bit of work. Not that it's difficult to read. It isn't. It's just that to get the full measure of it, I found I needed to read a bit slowly and chew on it as I was reading. It requires attention. And I loved it. I will be continuing my Hemingway retrospective, and I will bore you with all of it. How's that? So even 100 years removed... The theme of the lost generation, it's still important, it's still current, and you might, just might, have heard some echoes of the great man's styling creep into this episode. So, <laughs> my survivor friends, let's wrap it up. That's it for me. Come over and join us on our Facebook group, search for After the Apocalypse and join the group. We've got 331 members as of this morning, and they are talking about their favorite zombie movies. You can see all of these articles here, these outro articles posted with the links on my website, oldmanapocalypse.com. If you want to help with the show, you can always hand me a briefcase full of cash. You can do that on the website in various ways. Uh, but you can also take a moment to like on your podcast app and share it with your friends and enemies and those people you are not quite sure of, but you need to keep an eye on. Any of you would like to contribute a story to our story contests for April, feel free, reach out to me. If you know any other podcasts that you think I should do a promo swap with, let me know that as well. And thank you for joining us on this journey 
And repeat after me. No matter what happens, we will handle it. And keep surviving. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.